0: Well today we have a very special guest called David Chirazi. He's a dentist by trade, but he also has a very special interest in cranial facial pain and he's a diplomat of the American Board of Cranial Facial Pain. David, how did you get this interest going forward in in cranial facial
1: pain that you have now? Oh my goodness. Um It's one of those things where it found me rather than I found it. (laughs) We didn't know. I didn't know. I I don't think hardly anybody in dental school knew that, that even such a focus existed. And uh, especially from a functional standpoint. But um, when I got out of dental school, I became an acupuncturist and oriental medical doctor. And um, I was doing orthodontics on my patients and some of the uh, parents we're like, oh, can you help me with my kid? Can you help me with my um, jaw problem and, my, you know, facial uh, skeletal form? And I said, sure. So I would make them these TMJ appliances. And they would say, oh, you know what? I'm doing great. My migraines are gone. And I said, well, good for you. I didn't even know you had migraines. They said, no, no, no. when I take your appliance out, my migraines come back. Right. So at first I just thought that was awfully odd. I didn't think anything of it. I said, okay, just back in my head. And then probably less than a month or two later, a second patient told me the exact same thing. And I thought, okay, this can't be a coincidence. So so I talked it over with my colleagues, my study group, um, did of course an online search. And of course, what do we find that tension type headaches, TMJ problems, migraine type headaches, they seem to follow in packs (laughs) and uh, certain TMJ patients when they're treated and they have either tension type or migraine type headaches or both, they'll see either resolution or improvement in it. Well, this was shocking to me, you know, all of this, I was like, if, if this was true, I would have known was my thought. Right. And, um, and so I kind of delved into this world and it would talk about a rabbit hole. You go down this rabbit hole and there's this whole cavern of information and history. <laughs> it's like a whole other world. And, um and, and I, and I love dentistry that even though I don't really do general dentistry anymore, like fillings, crowns and root canals and such. um I liked it. I, I liked being a little construction worker, <laughs> It was it was fun for me, um, but getting people out of pain and restoring their sleep, who, who people who were suffering from snoring and sleep apnea and their bed partners, um, just became an overwhelming passion that I couldn't ignore. I wanted to do it full time.
0: So, so let's go back a little bit into this. It would appear that many of our concepts about pain are wrong, and we've, yeah. we've come to the sort of thing that pain is a unifaceted thing, but it's not, is it, David?
1: Not at all. Not at all. And, and you know, humans are multivaried equations, if you will, right? We have a lot of things going on, right? We have a physiology is not (laughs) univaried, right? We have all these things going on. Um, And what's interesting is, is a concept you and I were discussing previously of what's called central sensitization, right? Which is when we have repetitive pain coming from somewhere, right? Could be organ, could be cancerous, could be, uh, it's usually orthopedic like jaw or neck or back or what have you, median nerve, carpal tunnel actually causes the brain to go through plastic changes which then in turn causes either a pain or a painful condition. Like all migraines, for example, are centrally sensitized trigeminal disorders, right? And that's the difficult part is in with chronic pain, what the patient is suffering from is not usually the source of the pain. So it becomes very mysterious, right? Whereas acute pain, new pain, it's almost always right where the patient says it hurts. Right. Right. So, so that's why pain becomes so challenging is they come up with these global problems like fibromyalgia, uh, for example, which is another centrally sensitized disorder. And, you know, it's very difficult to treat if you're just trying to treat that portion. Right. But if you can find what's leading up to the brain and causing that no susception to change the brain, well then you can finally get somewhere. And even then, it's not necessarily one thing. It could be more than one thing.
0: So so this is where you really have to be a, a, a jigsaw puzzle maker trying to fit in all the pieces that come together rather yeah. than having a univariate sort of analysis.
1: Yeah. You know, the, there is a very famous, uh, not as famous as he should be, uh, orthopedic surgeon named John Beck, who came up with, uh, a technique he calls the motor reflex test and, uh, that I use. It's, it's a huge part of my practice. And he would joke. He made a lot of jokes. He was a genius, but he would joke about his profession and say a patient telling a doctor where the problem is. Is like the blind leading the dumb <laughs> you know um and it's 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 challenging because you know it like we said it is very complex and then then you add sleep to it, right? you know we have two stages of sleep um out of four uh called delta and rem, and delta is where we get almost a hundred percent of our growth hormone, and after we're done growing, we need growth hormone to repair. So we're not getting the repair if we're having interruptions in our sleep from literally anything, snoring, sleep apnea, the bed partner snoring and sleep apnea, a noisy neighbor's dog, a stressful time we're going through. Um, All of these things will disturb our sleep, which then has a global effect on everything else going on with the body.
0: Part of our body needs healing and rehealing as it goes on. I think one of the things we know from sleep deprivation studies is that, that the biggest problem with that is your body doesn't allow itself to
1: heal during that time. That's correct. You don't get the parasympathetic tone. And then on top of it, the other stage that we talked about, like other than growth hormone, is REM. And in REM, we're doing our mental and emotional healing. We're doing our mental and emotional processing. And in addition to other things, we just recently found out about five plus years ago that the brain has its own lymphatic system that's unique to itself. And during REM is when the lymphatic system clears the beta amyloid plaques in the brain which is, you know, absolutely fantastic. Those are the kind of things that could lead to stroke. So that's why it's so important to get REM as well. And, you know, what's interesting is a lot of the medications that people are taking for depression and anxiety will actually interfere or even block people getting REM sleep.
0: So that's difficult as well. And that would contribute then to increased pain for people that are prone to pain (sighs) as
1: well. Yeah, and depression and anxiety. It, be, it becomes a hamster wheel where you're not getting the good rest. You can't process your, what's going on in your life. Okay. You can't cope. So you see a doctor, but then the solution is psychotropic medication, which then retards the REM, which doesn't allow you to get a restful night's sleep. And you just get on this hamster wheel and it just keeps going round and around and around. And it's, it's, it's challenging for millions of Americans literally millions. So
0: let's go into your your big interest of TMJ and what exactly is going on with TMJ syndrome?
1: Well, so TMJ is just the word for the anatomy, right? We've got the temporal bone, we got the mandible, and we got the joint. That's how we get the name TMJ. Uh, temporal mandibular joint disorders uh, can vary just from clicking and popping and occasional pain. Uh, to jaw locking, severe arthritis. Um, and there is a lot of pain patterns that are associated with those conditions. Like we talked about tension type, migrant type pain, but also conditions like trigeminal neuralgia, atypical facial pain and et cetera. Right. So w- we have a joke in our specialty in our, in our expertise, uh, as you know, uh, the acronym WNL typically stands for within normal limits, right? But when we actually look to see what has anyone done for you and we looked at WNL stands for, we never looked, right? They, they, they went to see all these doctors and, um, sure enough, they, they just never looked. You know, I had one patient tell me a long time ago, I said, okay, so this is the problem you have. And we treated it and she got better. And she goes, so it's not all in my head because my doctor told me it's all in my head, right? I go, well, your TMJ is technically in your head. <laughs> um, but of course, I don't think you're making it up. I think you have a real problem in, in this case, of course. So um, the American Academy of Facial Pain did a survey uh, of, I think, a thousand patients. And they asked them, With whatever you came in for, jaw pain, facial pain, trigeminal neuralgia, tension type headache, migraine type headache, ear pain, tinnitus, all the things we know can be related to a TMJ disorder, we asked them, how many doctors did you see for it until you got the help that finally worked, right? And they took all this data and they averaged it, and it was an average of nine doctors, that's a lot. That's a lot of different doctors. That's a lot of different doctors. And I, I'm not saying they saw like five dentists and four ENTs. I mean, they saw like one of each. They, they went all over the place.
0: It's frustrating for a patient to try to get that all done. And uh, many of them give up along the way.
1: Yeah, it's just sort of like a, an ongoing problem that they just have to cope with in addition to the rest of their lives. Exactly.
0: Well, in in your view of this, you look at pain in a different, more holistic way than other people. What is the difference between Western medicine and Eastern medicine on on these concepts of pain?
1: Well, I'll I'll, I'll actually tell you about it in both in the con, in the context of Eastern medicine and then Western medicine, because dentistry is, of course, a component of Western medicine, but actually functions differently. So in Eastern medicine, Chinese medicine, um, our focus is on the individual, right? So like, for example, rather than focus on the germ theory of infection, our philosophy would be what's called the terrain theory of infection. We would say, okay, well, how did this person get an infection when everyone around him didn't get it? right? What's their health like? What's their, what they would say is lung chi, or what's their sleep like? What's their emotional state like? They would factor in all of these individual uh, nuances and and physiological points of interest, if you will, um, and find out, okay, well, what is being affected right now that that's happening, right? That this person came to this event. So that would be our thought process there. So is it, Something emotional. Is it something physiological? Is it something orthopedic? And, and we go from there. Like that's like the Eastern medicine. And then whatever the, even the diagnoses that we have, we have excess deficiency, hot, cold, wet, dry. We, we, we look at it in a very interesting sort of way to try to get a milieu of what the patient is like. Now, Dentistry, even though it's considered part of Western medicine and it is part of Western medicine, um, by default, we're very much functionally focused, right? So if someone went in with a toothache to the dentist, okay, the correct methodology of evaluation of that patient would be, all right, taking a history. How long have you had it? Describe the pain, etc. cetera. And then, They would, the dentist would then look inside the mouth, see if there's any cavities, gum disease, tooth fractures, uh, would then probably take an x-ray. And see if there's any underlying infection. If there's uh, a sinusitis that could be referring pain, are they clenching their teeth? That's behind everything. You know, these are things that you know we would do. And then once we find out, ah, you have a cavity on this tooth. Okay, well, I think we can save it from a root canal. Let's go ahead and do a filling, for example, right? Or you got a big fracture. We have to do a crown. Whatever it is, we just we just sort of diagnose the cause. And go from there. And if it's a fracture, we might say, oh, maybe it's because you're clenching your teeth very hard. Oh, maybe the reason why you're clenching your teeth is because of sleep apnea. Because we now know that roughly 50% of the time, the reason why we clench is a form of sleep apnea, right? So these are things that dentists do, but we're still considered Western medicine, right? Now, if, for example, a physician... Were to treat a toothache, uh, the typical methodology of treatment is: patient goes to see physician with a toothache, physician writes down the diagnosis as idiopathic odontalgia, right? Which basically means tooth pain of unknown origin, right? And then we'll you know take a history. And very typically, okay, we'll prescribe pen medication. Oh, here's some ibuprofen. Here's a stronger medication. Um, if this should take care of it, if it doesn't come back to see me, right? And patient may come back in a month or two or three and say, you know what? The medication helped me about 40%, which is considered a success in allopathic medicine, 40% improvement. And he goes, but you know what? This tooth is really killing me. It's really hard for me to sleep. Right. And they go, okay, well, let's let's order an x-ray and see what's going on. And then they go, Oh, wow, looks like you had a very big cavity. And now this cavity I can see has gone into the tooth, into the nerve space. And so now our options are root canal or extraction. Right. Which is the next you know, once it's in the nerve, you know, there's not much you can do other than pull it or do a root canal. And uh in Dentistry, that would be considered malpractice. Right. We're not waiting on insurance to tell us whether we should take an x-ray and see what you have. You follow? We're saying, okay, well, I need to see what it looks like right there, right now. I'm just going to take the x-ray now and see what happens. Right. And, and they do. And then once they have a diagnosis, then they can act right away. You know, palliative medicine does exist in dentistry, of course, right? Patients coming in, I'm sorry? Of course. Yeah. And by what we mean by palliative medicine is, you know, just taking care of them while they're in your chair with a little bit of aches and pains, infection, whatever it is. But our intention has always been, as far as I've ever known dentistry, my mom's a dentist, you know, cousins, you know, (laughs) I have a lot of family members that are doctors and dentists um and it's always been the methodology of okay well let's take care of this for now but let's also look to try to find the cause of the problem and go from there so it's it's an interesting dichotomy even though dentistry is a part of uh western medicine that that issue still exists that the the difference is like that it's pretty to me it's pretty stark difference
0: Obviously. And mm-hmm. that's that where I think is the nubbin here is that the important thing is to treat the patient. And the important thing is to therefore get the right diagnosis and treat it accordingly. And yes. I, I think that's the whole thing about it. Uh Whether there are multiple things feeding into it, or whether there's a single thing feeding into it, it's important to get the right diagnosis in order to treat the patient and resolve the problem.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally agreed. Totally agreed. And I do think Western medicine is starting to come to that realization. Because I mean, we all know that if someone goes to see a doctor or urgent care or to the hospital with a problem, sometimes what happens, you know, a lot of times what happens is the urgent care hospital or doctor will say, well, you have this problem. We know what you have. But it's not bad enough to do it for us to do anything about it yet. Right? If it if it comes to this level, come back and we'll do some surgery, lance it, what, whatever it is that the solution is. But so many people are in that middle category where it's not acute, it's not severe, it's right in the middle. And they're like, "Well, well, how do I fix it now?" other than just taking steroid, how do I prevent it from me coming back to you <laughs> and having to have that surgery? And and doctors are seeing that, that there is this big gap, there is this big chasm in their uh, treatment uh, options and are either learning to refer out or are trying to learn their craft a little bit better so they can be more effective.
0: Yeah, and I think that's important. And I think the, the whole thing here is a learning process. And I think people like yourself have found that your limitations drove you to to learn new things.
1: It, it did. It did. Actually, what's interesting is the reason why I wanted to be an acupuncturist was, you know, I, I'll be honest about everything. Um Everything I did was for selfish reasons. <laughs> okay. I wanted to be a dentist because... I like working with my hands and I like people. So I like connecting with them, communicating with them and offering a service that they need. I just thought that was fun for me. And then I studied Chinese medicine with the intention of when I have a family, uh, I want to be able to help them in a more holistic way. Right. Cause like I said before, antibiotics and steroids is not, Regular medicine, that's emergency medicine, right? You want to, you want to get to that before you get to that emergency medicine part. And at the same time as I was becoming an oriental medical doctor, I saw an opportunity to combine that treatment methodology to this whole pain mechanism I'm doing with oral facial pain and I just thought, well, I can't pass this up. I need to, I need to, like, I had no intention of finishing the master's program or sitting for the board exam, but I did (laughs) because I thought I want to do this on a daily basis. I I really enjoy this.
0: It's understandable. We're getting close to our end, David. Okay. Let's suppose we have one of our patients out there that is one of those unfortunate patients that's seen nine or 10 people already and haven't had an opportunity to find somebody that's helped them. How can they get in touch with you?
1: So the uh, best way to find us, because my office, I have two offices, one in LA, one in Conejo Valley, which is Thousand Oaks. Um, and we have a website, tmjla.com, right? So it's a great website. Um, go ahead and just look it up. You can learn more about it. You can go on uh YouTube and Google my name, Dr. Shirazi TMJ, and you'll find like, like 30 testimonial videos and a Google talk I did for about an hour. Um, and there's even a we can help guide you to websites that will help you find someone like minded in your area.
0: Excellent. Well, David, I'd like to thank you very much for spending the time with our guests today and educating them. I think they'll find this a wealth of knowledge. And I hope will so. Help them in the future with their future plans and also maybe help their family members as well.
1: I hope so. Amen. Let's hope th- the whole purpose of doing this podcasting for me is to help spread the word and get more people educated on this service.
0: Yes. Thank you very much, David. My you. your pleasure.
1: Be well. You've been listening to How to
0: Live a Fantastic Life. Be sure and pick up a copy of Dr. Leica's book, The Secrets to Living a Fantastic Life on Amazon.com. And you'll want to subscribe right here on this page so you don't miss a single episode. Have a fantastic day.